0: Well, we're back in uh, the middle of our Roman study, and it's been interesting, right? We've unpacked week one, uh, that everybody is under condemnation, right? Nobody is free uh, from the penalty of sin. Everybody has fallen short of the standard. The standard is God's holiness, righteousness, right? And then we jumped in last week, week two, and we said, hey, well, that's okay, there's grace for everybody, right? Just because you're condemned uh, doesn't mean uh, it's the end-all be-all for you, right? There's a grace offered to everybody just like everybody is condemned, and it's up to you whether or not you want to step into that grace. And so today, uh, we're kind of looking on the other side of salvation, right? This series is entirely centered around salvation and uh, what salvation looks like, and then sometimes the implications on the other side of salvation, and that's kind of where we're going today. In fact, we're gonna be diving in, and we're gonna be kind of repeating a little bit of chapter five that we talked about uh, last week, but in a little bit of a different And then we're going to dive in to six, seven, and a little bit of eight, too. And so Romans in five weeks, not an easy task, but uh, we're going to try to do it. We're going to knock it out and we're going to ride through this. Um, So today, that's what we're talking about. We're diving right in to this idea of being completely free from the penalty of sin, but not just the penalty of sin but the power of sin, right? You don't have to keep paying on salvation. That mortgage payment is not what salvation looks like. And we kind of talked about that last week. Jesus has paid it all, once for all, in full, and there's nothing you can do to change that. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more or to make him love you less. And so while the Christian is completely free, right, I can't change my standing with God, that kind of begs some questions on the other side of that, right? If I'm completely free, Does that mean I just get to do whatever I want? Can I do whatever I want? Am I free to do whatever I want? What does it look like now that I know that God's not gonna condemn me no matter what? Jesus completely paid it all, it's not a mortgage, and so I'm completely free. Completely free from the penalty of sin, what does that mean for me? Does that mean I can kinda do or be whoever I wanna be or whatever I wanna do? I don't know, it's a big question, and Paul kinda uh, answers that question because as he navigates these three chapters, He's got a logical flow in mind. And and this next part kind of reminds me of a conversation my mom and I used to have. When when it comes to the question, are you free to do whatever you want? She used to tell me all the time. She said, son, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And this would often involved uh, me being above average height pretty much my entire life. And so in our house, uh, we'd have different like archways and I know going up the stairs, we had a little uh, wall overhang and I would always just feel the need to touch them, right? I would always go by the white wall and the overhang and I would just slap it, I would just touch it. I would just feel the need to be compelled to do that because I could. After a while, mom started to see her white walls get a little dirty because of her son's handprints all over them, and she would just pound over and over and over again and say, son, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? Me touching those walls was not going to change my standing with my mom. She's still going to be my mom. We're still going to have a good relationship, but... She didn't want me to do that. She wanted uh, her walls to stay clean. And so I remember that over and over and over again. She would tell me all the time, whether it was me touching things I wasn't supposed to touch or, or me doing things that were teetering on the line. She would always tell me, son, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think that's really Paul's heart uh, on the other side of this conversation today, right? Because Romans 5, he just gets done unpacking this entire uh, amount of freedom that you have in Jesus. How salvation has completely paid it all. And then he gets to the other side of that. And he has this this weird uh, quote that, that maybe doesn't resonate with us until we understand the magnitude of salvation being paid in full at the end of chapter 5. He gets to the end of chapter 5 and he says this, He's going, he's kind of navigating this conversation. He's navigating uh, this logical flow with them on the other side of salvation. He gets to the end of chapter five and he says, the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. And so there it is. That's Paul saying, hey, where there is sin, there is grace. And so, where there is more sin, there is more grace. And so, what Paul's trying to get these people to understand for the first time, because they've been bound to the law and they've been bound to this checklist of do's and don'ts, is that man, what you need to understand is that salvation is liberating. Where you have a lot of sin, you need to understand there's a lot of grace. In fact, for the one who has much sin, he appreciates much grace. And so he's talking about this and he's getting them to understand this. And you can almost start to see uh, as he keeps this letter going, if we get rid of chapters, numbers, and verses, it's just a complete thought that he rolls into. And he says this in chapter six. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace can multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? It's that just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? You can almost hear my mom in that verse, right? He says, what should we say? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? If grace is this incredible thing that we really understand when we sin, should we keep on sinning so that we keep appreciating grace? I love what he says in the follow-up. He says, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so he starts to see, hey, uh, for the first time, this salvation that you were granted came by belief, came through faith, with Ab- like, like we talked about with Abraham last week. And wrapped up in that belief and wrapped up in that faith, you see this, you see this idea of dying to self. And, itself. and so Paul introduces that idea of death right there. When you died to sin, you became free. Here's kind of what he means. We're going to jump down to verse 16 in Romans chapter 5. And this is what he says. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one that you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And so Paul's saying, hey, here's the deal. You're free, yes, but you're either free uh, from sin or you're bound to sin. Those are the options. You're free, but you're free for the first time to be a slave to something better than sin. And so he says, you're gonna be a slave to something. Yes, there's freedom in your slavehood with Jesus, but at the end of the day, You're a slave to one of two things. You're either a slave to sin and you constantly do what sin demands of you, or you're a slave to Jesus and that slavehood comes with freedom. It's kind of this idea, right? Um, You you have me who likes to eat a lot. I, I love food, I love food. And if I constantly just eat whatever I want, then really I'm a slave to my appetite. Really I don't have any freedom. If I just impulsively can't control myself, then I'm not really free to make choices. I'm a slave to what gets put right in front of me. The outcome is determined. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, when you were a sinner, the outcome was determined. Before you knew Jesus, we knew what you were gonna do. You were gonna sin because that's who you were. But now he's saying, if you choose to be a slave to righteousness, here's what happens. A freedom comes with that choice. You have the freedom to choose to do the right thing for the first time. For the first time in your life as a Christian, when you become a Christian, you're not a slave to sin, you have the freedom from powers of sin, right? You have the freedom to choose the right thing as opposed to just constantly doing the wrong thing. When you put your faith in God and his word, you are set free and Paul's urging these people, hey, since you've been set free, I wanna urge you to live in that consistent freedom. Don't be a slave to sin any longer. And he kind of keeps that thought going. He said, when you were slaves to sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then becomes the thing, then from the things you are now ashamed of. The outcome of those things is death. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification. And the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that. He says, when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. What he's saying is you could not pick righteousness. You were free from the liberate, you were liberated from the idea of righteousness, which is not a good thing. Some sarcasm in there, right? When you're a slave to sin, you have no choice to pick righteousness. But as a slave to Jesus, as a slave to righteousness, you have the choice to pick righteousness. And so not only are you free from the penalty of sin, but Paul's saying, hey, for the first time ever, You are free from the power of sin as a Christian. You do not have to choose sin. You don't have to choose unrighteousness. You can choose to walk with God the way that he wants you to navigate life with him. But then it gets a little sloppy, right? Because as you see this logical flow that Paul's kind of walking through, he says, hey, here's the deal. Everybody's messed up. Jesus has made a sacrifice for everybody who's messed up. Those of you who choose to believe in Jesus are free from the penalty of sin. And because you're free from the penalty of sin, you can choose to be free from the power of sin for the first time ever. But what does that mean when we don't choose that? Right? That can be a little tricky too. Right, We start to navigate the Christian life and things start to get hard. And we start to wonder, okay, if Jesus paid it all and I can do whatever I want, I shouldn't because I should want to live for him. But what about when I want to live for him and I still can't seem to do that? Well, lucky for us, Paul's a pretty transparent guy, and these three chapters in this book, four chapters in this book, are four of my favorites because you see his heart, you see his transparency, and you also see the logical flow that he's trying to walk these people through. Because you're completely free from the power of sin, but he gets real honest with us in Romans 7. In Romans 7, he kind of walks through this monologue. right? He's walking through this monologue uh, with himself, and he's trying to explain to these people, just because I'm free, doesn't mean I'm going to make the right choice always. But that's where I fall back on the fact that I'm free from the penalty of sin. So just because I'm free from the power of sin doesn't mean I'm gonna choose obedience. But the beauty is I'm still free from the penalty of sin even when I mess up and when I don't. So he gets into this monologue and he starts in verse 19. He says, for I do not do the good that I wanna do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. <clears throat> now, if I do what I don't want, I'm no longer the one that does it, but it is sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law, this principle, in other translations. When I want to do what is good, evil is present in me. For my inner self, for in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in parts of the body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am, love this part. There's self recognition and then he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? He concludes that thought and says thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I'm gonna kinda, that that, that was a lot of words, it was a lot of this than that, and so I'm gonna kinda try to walk through that a little bit slower here and kinda break it down. But Paul starts off, he says, I I do not do the good that I wanna do, but I practice the evil I don't wanna do. Okay, well, well we just said you're free, Paul, why are you doing that? He says, now if I do what I don't want, I'm no longer the one that does it, but it's the sin that lives in me. And so Paul's saying, okay, if I'm doing the things that I don't wanna do, if I'm not walking in obedience, then I need to recognize it's because I'm still wearing skin. And the reality for me and you is while we are still wearing skin, we are gonna still make poor choices. We are not gonna get it right every day. We're not gonna get it right every second of the day. And so we need to show ourselves grace because we need to fall back on the beauty of the gospel. And that's that we are free from the penalty of sin. So Paul's walking through this and he says, okay, even when I do uh, the wrong thing, I know that it's not me, it's sin that lives in me. It's because I'm still wearing skin. And so I discover this principle, he says, when I wanna do what is good, evil's present in me. So I've constantly got this war that's being waged, the Holy Spirit that lives in me against my flesh. And so I've always got a choice to make. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. So he's saying, okay, I I see this. I see that my inner self, the Holy Spirit in me, who I am, the new creation, the person who has decided to be a slave to Jesus, that wants to delight in God's law. I want to pursue Jesus. I want to be obedient to the things that he's laid out. But every time I see that, I see a different law in the parts of my body. And so the skin that I'm still wearing, the fact that I'm still a human, is constantly waging war against the new creation that I am. And so I'm constantly conflicted and constantly met with this opportunity to make a choice, to choose to walk in the freedom that Jesus has given me. Because when we choose sin, what we're really choosing is bondage, right? When we choose sin, we're not just choosing a bad decision, we're not just choosing a mistake, but what we're choosing is everything that comes with that. And the only things that come from sin are death and bondage right? I'm going to be bound to that thing if I don't cut it off. And the thing that I'm not supposed to do that I do is probably going to lead to hurt and to pain on somebody else's behalf or my behalf. So Paul's saying these two things are constantly waging war against each other. And it's taking me prisoner. And then he concludes and he says, what a wretched man that I am. This is just who I am. This is the reality of my situation. Who is going to deliver me from the guy that knows what he should do, but does the wrong thing? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God because I'm free from the penalty of sin even when I get it wrong. And thanks be to God because I know that even in the middle of the struggle, because I am a child of God, I have the opportunity to be obedient for the first time. Remember the sinner, the person without salvation doesn't even have the opportunity to choose righteousness. But Paul's saying, while I am in a relationship with Jesus, because I'm in a relationship with Jesus, I still have the opportunity to choose righteousness. And when I don't, when I mess up, it's not counted against me because God has delivered me from that already. There's this verse in 2 Timothy and it it, it talks about how when we are faithless, God is faithful. And and then Paul kind of concludes that quote to Timothy and says, when you're faithless, he's still faithful. He can't deny himself. And you see the logic of God wrapped up in this, this comment from Paul. He's saying, God has already said Jesus is righteous and he's taking your place. And so even when you're faithless, all I see is Jesus. The only thing that I see is Jesus when you're faithless. He's the hope that you have, and and nothing will change that. I can't unsee him, I can't change the process because that is the process I have set up. And that is who I am. And I cannot deny myself or the process I've set up. And so Paul is almost reminding himself of that quote to Timothy in this, and he says, hey, even when I mess up, thanks be to God because he has secured me, I am, I am secure in my salvation, I am planted in righteousness with God forever because of what he has done, and even God can't change that because it is the process he has set up for himself that when he looks at you and your brokenness, as a Christian, all he can see is Jesus because that's the sacrifice that was made in your place. I love this analogy, I love this conversation he's having with himself, this monologue in Romans 7 because it gives us a picture, an honest picture Right? Because I think some of the games that we play when we grow up in church are, well, you came to Jesus and you're coming to church every Sunday, so you need to have everything else right. And we start to put these unreasonable standards on ourselves that righteousness is perfection uh, before we get to heaven. But righteousness does not reach perfection until we're glorified. And you are not glorified until you get rid of this body. And so I love the honesty that's coming from Paul in this moment. In fact, Spurgeon uh, has a quote on this too, and I love some of Spurgeon's quotes, but he kinda unpacks this and he says this about this analogy uh, in that last verse. That last verse, were said, um, or verse 24, he says, "'Who will rescue me from this body of death?' Uh, Spurgeon has this phenomenal analogy. He says this, he says, "'It was the custom of tyrants "'that when they wished to put, a man, uh, put men "'to the most fearful punishments, "'they would tie a body to them, a dead body, "'placing the two back to back. "'There was the living man with a dead body closely strapped to him, rotting, putrid, corrupting. In this, he must drag with him wherever he went. Now, this is just what the Christian has to do. He has within him the new life. He has a living and undying principle, which the Holy Spirit has put within him, but he feels that every day he has to drag about with him his dead body, this body of death, a thing as loathsome and hideous, as abominable to his new life as a dead, stinking carcass Would be to a living man. I love that. It is the reality that we have until we are glorified and with Jesus. You are constantly fighting the the, the flesh that you're wearing. You're constantly fighting the part of you that is still human. But in the middle of that fight, you are free from the power of sin. You are not bound to the wrong choice. You have the ability to make the right choice because the wrong choices lead to hurt, they lead to pain, they lead to death. The right choices lead to hope, they lead to joy, they lead to holiness. That is the big thing um, that I want you guys to understand on the, on the other side of having the power and freedom to make those choices. There's gonna be two choices, and sometimes uh, the sinful choice may seem harmless, but every time the right choice is gonna to lead to holiness, it's gonna to lead to obedience, it's gonna to lead to loving Jesus. So I love that quote as he kinda of lays that out for us. It, it, but he's not done because that, that reality is that we don't always choose obedience. And so what happens when we don't always choose obedience. Is that like a pause for a minute in our theology? Is it a pause for a minute in our faith or or what happens next? And so you kind of see Paul roll right into the next thought. He goes from uh, the idea that grace has covered it all, but just because grace has covered it all doesn't mean you should do whatever you want. In fact, if you're still doing sinful things, it means you're still slave to those sinful things. But because grace covered it all, you have the opportunity of the power to act in freedom as a slave to Jesus. And then he goes from that and he says, just because you have the ability to choose obedience, doesn't mean you always will choose obedience because you're still a broken human. And then he concludes and he kind of rounds this out in this last thought, he gets to Romans chapter eight. Remember, if we're getting rid of the chapters and numbers and verses in these pages, it's just one thought that rolls into the next, but we have the luxury of calling it Romans chapter eight and he gets there and he says this in verse 12. So, so then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I love it basically what Paul's saying, and we're gonna go back and look at it, but basically what he's saying is, your salvation doesn't take a pause. Your your relationship with God doesn't take a pause. What he's saying is because of this slavehood that you've decided uh, to give, this allegiance that you've given to Jesus, the beauty of that is, over and over and over and over and over again, you can run back to the Father. So, So then brothers and sisters, we're not obligated to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And so he says, you're not bound to this. You don't have to choose the fleshly things. You don't have to choose the sinful things because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. He says, the people that still are are slaves to flesh are people that are not bound for an eternity with Jesus. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's saying, hey, those of you who have chosen to walk in the spirit, those of you who have chosen to walk with Jesus are able to put to death to death the deeds of the body one day. One day, because you've chosen to walk with Jesus because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, one day when this body is not yours and you do not call the earth your home anymore, you're gonna have a glorified body that's with Jesus and for the first time, you're gonna know what it is to truly live without the burden of fighting the back and forth. And then he rounds out with 14 and 15. For all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. You are a son, you are a child, of the king, you're a child of the father. And so so Paul starts taking it, he says, hey, we, we called you slaves. And yes, I want you to see that analogy. I want you to see that you're not a slave to sin and that you're a slave to God. And with that comes freedom because you get to choose in your slavehood. But here's what I really want you to know. I really want you to know that you're more than slaves. I really want you to know that you're a chosen child of the God of the universe. And you are a son, you're an adopted son. And here's what comes with sonship. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's not you anymore. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He's saying you, you do not have to be stuck. You do not have to wonder if there's somebody to go to as you wrestle with the monologue that Paul lays out in Romans 7. You are a son of the king. And so you are not just free from the penalty of sin as a son of the king, you are free from the power of sin as the son of the king because the son of the king gets to go back to the king over and over and over and cry, Daddy, Daddy, I love you. Daddy, I'm sorry. Daddy, I know that you still love me. Over and over and over again is a perfect love from the father. And I know that, that sometimes this analogy is hard to wrestle with because not everybody listening to this has understood or known a loving father or had the experience of a loving father. But this is not that. This is, this is everything you wished your father would have been and more. And for those of you that have phenomenal father figures in your life, this is everything you wished he would be and so much more because God is the perfect father who continues to extend grace, who continues to love us even in the middle of our brokenness while we're still wearing skin. He says, hey, it's okay, come back to me. Hey, it's okay, come back to me. Hey, you don't have to dabble in the slavehood of sin anymore. I'm calling you mine over and over and over and over and over again. And that adoption is what allows you to choose obedience because you don't have a spirit of fear of what happens if I sin again. That spirit is gone. You do not have to live in fear. You get to know confidently and comfortably that when you mess up, you get to go back to the Father and choose obedience over and over and over again. Adoption allows you to choose obedience because you are free from the power of sin. That is huge. These three chapters, these four chapters are probably my favorite in all of scripture because it lays out what it looks like for somebody who is completely free from sin, the penalty of sin, and then what it looks like for us to be completely free from the power of sin. And then we get gut level honest with who we still are in our weakest moments. And then we get to see, then it rounds out with the fact that God's love is unrelenting even in our weakest moments when we see ourselves for who we really are. The Father is still saying, hey, I'm still here. I'm still the daddy that you have now because I've chosen to adopt you and call you mine. You are free from the power of sin and adoption allows you to choose obedience. I know that's heavy and I know that uh, maybe there's a, something in there that you've been wrestling with for a while. Maybe it's, maybe it's Romans 7. Maybe you still haven't given the mortgage over to God or maybe it's here at the end where you don't realize um, that God is still waiting for you in the middle of your mistakes and you're wearing an identity he hasn't given you. You're wearing brokenness as a child of God and he is telling you, do not wear that brokenness. Come back to me. Spend time in relationship with me because that's who I am and that's who I've chosen to be and that's the process that I've set up for you as my son to look at Jesus and to love you over and over and over again. And as you navigate some of that heavy stuff, maybe, maybe you need somebody to talk to. We've got hosts online right now uh, that are willing to chat with you. If you're on Facebook, we'll drop a link uh, to the online platform. It'll send you over there, and you'll see a request live prayer option available. And you can click that button. It'll send you to a private chat room with somebody who's willing to pray for you right now. Because what I know about Scripture is that it is a mirror to our life, and it confronts some of the ugliest pieces of who we are and things that we need to navigate. But it also gives us hope. And I know that sometimes it's hard to get to that moment of hope. And so let us help you this morning. Let us help you uh, throughout your week. If you're watching this after the online uh, service has aired live, then shoot us a DM and we would love to navigate prayer with you on these hard moments. But I'm gonna pray for us and we will see you guys next week for another awesome week in Romans. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, your faithfulness. Thank you that your faithfulness has freed us from the power of sin. Thank you that because of who you are, I do not have to be bound to sin. And when I mess up, Father, because of who you are, I don't have to sit there and wallow in my pity. I get to run back to the Father with open arms over and over and over again because you are good and you are gracious to me. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.